In this podcast, I will be having conversations about where our experience of life comes from. My goal is to support GPs in the overwhelming job that they do. The good news is that you can hang up your superhero cape and let go of needing to be everything to everyone. Today, I'm talking to Fiona Jacobs, Certified Master Transformation Coach and Coach Supervisor. Hi there, Fee. I'm so pleased to be welcoming you to my podcast, Hang Up Your Superhero Cape. Would you be happy to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, it sounded all very posh when you said it. Um, So my background is actually as a director of nursing for 25 years. Oh dear, that makes me feel very old. In fact, I got invited to my 40th year anniversary of starting nursing um, this year. So that that dates me. I apologize. Um, I've worked all over the world. I've worked in 10 different countries from Iraq uh, to Saudi, to England, to the US. So a lot of working with different cultures, uh, a lot of working uh, pretty hard at change and transformation in organizations that were going through uh, different phases of their Uh, of their work and life. A lot of the organizations in Saudi particularly were young organizations, so needed a lot of development support, particularly in quality. Um, And I have loved being a leader in healthcare for that 25 years. Um, I love to mentor and coach people to find their own leadership in incapacities and help them touch off their own resilience and clarity and power, both at work and I suppose, helping them to thrive in all aspects of life. That's lovely. I've got about the coaching bit, really. So I've been a coach for 12 years, or thereabouts. Yeah. And I love, I suppose I've moved from helping people in a physical way, you could say, as a nurse, and then moving into leadership, but then helping people in a psychological and emotional way, uh, finding the truth of who they are and, and really coming to life in such a way, I, I love the words thriving and flourishing because I think there is always the opportunity for human beings to find out who they truly are and to thrive and flourish and create and live life from that space. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I'm sure that what you've got to say to our listeners will be really helpful. And th- just to remind you and then that Uh, The purpose of this podcast is to remind them that they can hang up their superhero capes, take care of themselves and start to see life and work from the inside out. And actually, it would be great to hear your take on resilience, because I'm sure that's something that's come up again and again in nursing as well as in coaching for you. We're always being told that we need to be more resilient and many GPs and other primary care clinicians are saying that actually we shouldn't be overwhelmed with work and undermined. Um, we, sh- we shouldn't need to increase our resilience any further, that enough is enough. What, what would you say to my colleagues about that? Well, first of all, I don't want to say that I will fully understand their experience. I think it's really important to say that we all have our own experience of things. But there's something about resilience that I think is a fabulous thing to look at and explore for ourselves. 
And I think the reason that I would love to talk about it in this way, first of all, is because I've researched it as as part of a master's program that I did. But second of all, is to invite us to look at our capacity for resilience is part of who we are, as opposed to something that we need to build. Uh, So let me take a step in there and and see where it goes. So a, a quick story, I suppose. Back in 2015, I was leader of an organization which had an outbreak of MERS. And most people are familiar with MERS now that everybody's been working with COVID for two, two and a half years. And MERS hit our organization really badly and very quickly. And we were overwhelmed with about 282 patients, I think, within a space of a couple of weeks, of which over a period of time, the death rate was about 50%. Now, what happened to nursing and physician staff very quickly was that it was very busy, very overwhelming from the perspective of not only a lot of work to do, but then there was a lot of thinking around, well, what if I die? What if if I'm caring for this patient? If one, you know, a 42% death rate is, is pretty high. What if I'm the person that goes and takes care of this patient, contaminates myself and ends up with this disease? So not only were we dealing with a huge workload, a disease we'd never experienced before, but then the fact that we might die too. So that weighed very heavily on both the physicians and nurses that were taking care of these patients in ER, in ICU and so forth. What was really, really interesting, Joe, is when we just took a step back, when we had a moment before the shifts and and they were busy shifts and just went, what is it we need to do before this? shift, just to ground ourselves, just to center ourselves, just to get back to a space of clarity, get back to a space of, I'm okay. When they had five, 10 minutes of just being cared for, held, they could say what they wanted to say. They could say they wanted to leave the organization. They could say anything, anything was allowed. There was a space just to be themselves most people would come back to this very quiet, clear space within themselves. If you want to call it the space of resilience, the space of knowing they were okay, the space of clarity and creation and went, okay, took a deep breath and on they went in, donned their gown, their gloves, their masks and all of it and went forward. Now, when I spoke to them afterwards and researched what was going on for them, What I actually found was beyond the space of overwhelm, beyond the space of anxious thinking that a lot of people had about dying themselves, beyond the space of, oh my God, this is just way too heavy, really busy. Uh, I'm not sure I can cope. I don't want to be here. And all of the thoughts that human beings can have when we're faced with challenging situations, there was a space of quietude. There was a space of, I would call it uncontaminated thinking. There was something that held them, that allowed them to come back to life fully alive, fully 
engaged, fully joyful. And, and again, I'm not going to say it was easy. I'm not going to say that we didn't have our terrible days <laughs> or our disasters because we did. But when people fell back into the truth of who they were, to who they are, who we all are, and found within them that still small, wise voice, that energy and aliveness came into being. And sometimes, and I remember one girl particularly saying, I have been through this and I feel like a cockroach that even if a nuclear bomb went off, I would still survive. And <laughs> it was really interesting because I quoted it in the research as, as kind of one of those true grit comments. It was, I feel I've been through the worst that anybody can be through as a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. And I have come out not only alive, I've come out stronger, I've come out wiser, I've come out. And again, this is for some, not all, of course, even more committed, but also finding the capacity within themselves to know that they've done the best possible in that situation. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not trying to compare apples with oranges or eggs with grapes. But there is, and I'm not saying that the NHS is doing this perfectly, or all I'm saying is beyond the thought of overwhelm and burnout and stress and the speed of our thinking, there is that space of quietude. There is that space of calm and peace of mind. There is that space of wise insight that can help us find within ourselves and help us, you could say, to do what it takes to be okay. If there's, a, if there's something like having a hot bath or a cup of cocoa or listening to music for five minutes or taking a walk at lunchtime, whatever, our own wisdom will help guide us, keep us healthy, both physically, emotionally, and psychologically. And sometimes there's just the invitation to trust that, that that has our back. And the second part is from that space, when we are clear headed, then we make really good decisions. Yeah. We kind of know what to step into or what to do or how to take the next step. I don't know if that resonates or makes sense for you, Joe, but. Yeah, that really does resonate. And I, I think that what you're saying about taking that step back and connecting with your inner wisdom and peace is really what makes the difference and and can make the difference to some of my colleagues who are just saying enough already and leaving you know and leaving a job that previously has been full of meaning for them and that seems so sad, really. It does. And a very strange analogy comes to mind. And this is from a mentor of mine. His name is George Pransky. And he said, <laughs> he said, don't get divorced when you hate the person. <laughs> he said, get divorced when you love the person. Now, the reason I'm saying that in context of the job, it's very easy when 
it all just looks too much. Like we we can't go on any longer to make that decision to leave, throw, throw everything up in the air and leave. Yeah. And a lot of time we're already caught up and, and rolling in very fast thinking. So we're, we're in the thinking of overwhelm and burnout and stress and that grips us. It grips us. And, and it's actually kind of waking us up to, we need to be doing something different, but actually the wake up call is good. So listening to the feeling of this is not this is not working or this is not right is good. That's a great wake up call. We've got a great divine architecture to wake us up, but we need to wake up to what the feeling is telling us. Yeah. The feeling is telling us about the quality of thinking we have in the moment, not about the situation. And when we fall back into a space of clearer thinking, then we know what to do, but we know what to do with if you want to call it a trust, um, a trust navigator or something that you can trust better than our overwhelmed, burned out thinking. Yeah. I, I don't know if that, that lands as a, as a metaphor for you, Joe. Yeah, it, it does, Fee, because w- when we make important decisions like that, it's really difficult to make the right decision, I think, in the midst of all that burnout feeling and overwhelmed feeling and, you know, thinking clearly enough rather than just thinking, I've got to get away from this. Yeah. It, the swirl of the mind and, and particularly the urgency that we have sometimes, again, we think that's an indicator to do something. But actually urgency points out to... Um, Again, it's just the urgency of thinking that we're having in the moment. It's pointing to the speed almost of our thinking in the moment, which if you think of it, it's like a, a spinning fan. And, you know, we're, if you again, take a metaphor of the car, I mean, we're like, like designed maybe to go 60, 80 comfortably, but, you know, when you're at 180, the engine, it's not good that you're revving up to that uh, speed for a very long time. You're going to destroy the engine. So for us too, the urgent feeling is actually an indicator of the speed of your thinking and that it would be really good for that to slow down, for that thinking to dissolve, for you to come back to that space of clarity and okayness and resilience, which are innate capacities and qualities that every single human being has. Yeah. But what we miss is we think we need to intellectually work our way out to clarity rather than recognizing no. Clarity, peace of mind, ease are part of who we are. They come with the design. They're part of the factory default setting. Yeah. And when we touch off that space, we know the deeper feeling that that is. And we know that when we come to life from that space, we'll not only come up with great or good solutions, to what's in front of us, but we just navigate more easily our lives. And part of that trusting that the system as it's designed is it takes us exactly where we need to go with ease and grace and peace of mind and creative solutions. So it's like, let's play in that field more than trusting the the overwhelming, fast, speedy thinking that we have that we think is getting us um, to a conclusion or a decision faster. 
yeah, that makes so much sense. It really does. And I guess that we've all grown up with the concept that it it's all about what happens to us in the external world and um, outside in thinking that it takes a bit of a, a jump sometimes to accept that actually it's not what's happening to us. It's our thinking about it that's causing the overwhelm and the, the spinning and, and burnout. And that, that that's not to blame ourselves for that. I mean, you, you point to something fabulous, Joe, which is we grow up in life, culture tells us, our parents tell us, educational institutions <laughs> tell us that we feel circumstances, that we feel the world, that we feel the hurtful comment, that we feel um, our own insecurity or our lack of confidence or our overconfidence or whatever it is, that we're, we're feeling something that is true, that is happening, that something real and true is happening to us and therefore the feeling that we have is real and true as well. Well, there's something missing in that picture, which is if that were true, that external circumstances or what people say or did can make us feel a certain way, then that would be true for all people all of the time. So what I mean by that is, if you think of, I'll take a good example rather than a sad example. So if you think of the of somebody giving birth. Uh -huh. Now, if something is true for all people all of the time, then everybody who gave birth would be absolutely delighted, thrilled with life, so happy, falling in love with their baby, all of that. Now that happens a lot of the time, right? But it doesn't happen 100% of the time. True. Now it's still the same event for all people sorry, all women. <laughs> it's still the same event for all women. They go through the labor process, whether it's the actual laboring itself, whether they have a C-section, whatever it is, they have a baby. And some people are upset, angry, frustrated, hate the baby, hate the process of labor. Some people are in joy, thrill is the best thing that's ever happened to them. And so what we're saying is if it was true that birth made you feel a certain way or the birth of a baby makes a person feel a certain then all women would feel that exactly the same way. Yeah. So the variation in the feeling comes from not the experience of, sorry, not the birth itself, not the actual labor itself or the birth, but my thinking or the person's thinking about giving birth or having a child. So nothing on the outside can make us feel a certain way. What makes us feel a certain way about things is the thinking we have about that thing. So in other words, if I'm a scared 16-year-old or 13-year-old having a baby, then my experience of that is going to be scared. Yeah. If maybe I'm a 16-year-old but have parents that are very open and accepting and all, then I might have a very curious experience and see what happens. Then for some people, it's they've been through IVF. They'll have their thinking about having a 
giving birth to a baby. You'll have maybe a woman at 39 who's going, oh my God, <laughs> is it possible that I can get pregnant? So it's going to be all kinds of different experiences for different people. But the differentiator is not the different people. It's the thinking about their experience. Yeah. Now, when we start to grasp that, oh my God, in every feeling I have, thinking is, in, is um, involved. I was going to say evolved. Thinking <laughs> is involved. Then we start to notice with every experience of a busy clinic or a busy day at work at the hospital or um, a, a surgery that's gone bad or a surgery that's gone well or increasing COVID or decreasing COVID that we will have thinking about that. That is going to create our experience of it. Now, you'll also have seen, Joe, I'm guessing that there'll have been some experiences of COVID that you'll have heard people say, the best thing that ever happened. I got to rethink my life. I left this job. I started doing something else. I, you know, it got me to just relook at who I am and what I want to do in life. For other people, COVID has been the worst thing possible. It's increased their workload. It's, it's, they're not able to see patients or seeing patients on Zoom. For other people, they've lost people that they love. So again, COVID doesn't make anybody feel a certain way, but we will have thinking about COVID that will give us our lived experience of it. And that can be from the best thing to the worst thing that ever happened. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So interesting. So we're, when we wake up to the fact of thinking involved in all of our feelings and experiences, then it gives us the opportunity to go, wow, I'm not feeling great about this thing. Whether it's work or my relationship or my teenage daughter or son or <laughs> my partner, whatever, there must be thought involved. Wow. Yeah. Now, what a lot of people will then do is try to do the think positive stuff, which is, okay, then let me think positive or let me read a good book and see how I can do a gratitude list or whatever. Well, we don't need to change our thinking per se because thinking changes all of its own when we let it. Now, I, there are some researchers and I have no idea who they are and I, and I know that speaking in front of a, an audience like this, I really should have the researchers that says a thought actually lasts between 10 and 15 seconds. So if we let it, a thought about our partner or teenage daughter or son or COVID or anything can last 15 seconds. So even if we have a horrible feeling about it, we think the thought, let's say it's anxiety. We have an anxious thought and we have this anxious feeling going on. And then our experience turns into almost like we put on anxiety glasses. So that becomes our experience of the world. That technically will last 15 seconds. Now, if we have habitual anxiety, or if this thought seems very familiar to us, yeah, right, they're working us to death, or you know, this bloody NHS, or whatever it is that we might say, <laughs> and we actually spin that thought, we can spin that thought for minutes, hours, days. Some people, and I don't know, I'm sure we all know of a person who's had a thought about something, like they've been done wrong by, and they're still in that same thought 25 years later. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you, you know, some people like that. Oh, yeah. well, you know, my my brother, he got the farm and I didn't get the farm and they're still talking about it 25 years. So they're still caught up in that loop of thinking. And that gives them our experience. And that experience looks really real. It looks really real to most people, but they don't see it as having come from thought. No. And they don't see that thought passes if you let it. And that you can have a different experience of that same thing. A moment later or 15 seconds later, if you want to be <laughs> precise about it, if we want to, because that's the possibility. So it requires us to notice that the feeling, recognize that it's coming from our thinking. And that's all. And then let it go. I love it. it. It is an awareness that everything that we feel comes through thought. Yeah. So it's a bit like putting a penny in the slot machine. You know, you put an anxious penny in, you're going to get an anxious feeling, and that will be your anxious glasses going on, and that will be your experience of the world. You put on a, put a sad penny in the machine. <laughs> <laughs> the human machine, I'm calling it now, or the system, and you'll feel sad. And it's like you put your sad glasses on and the world looks sad from that place. You can put a love penny in the machine <laughs> and experience that feeling, that lovely feeling of love that we all love. And then the world looks really different. It looks like everybody's smiling and happy and in love and we're in love and so it's it always will be back to whatever we're feeling is pointing to what we're thinking about in the moment yeah but the even better point is whatever we're thinking about in the moment that can change moment to moment it's variable yeah and so even though we've had this thought and this feeling and this experience that can shift in the next moment and we can have a completely different experience of the same thing unless we hold on to it yeah deliberately yeah not so much deliberately as just because it seems the right thing to do in the moment well if you think back to a four-year-old or five-year-old joe so they'll be running they'll fall down they'll hurt their knee they'll cry then maybe if mom is around, she'll hug them. They might go, I hate you, mom. And then they go a second later, I love you, mom. And what they're doing is they're living in the feeling of their thinking moment to moment. Yeah. But you see it as moment to moment, moment. They love you. They hate you. They're running, a, they're running away. They come back for a hug. <sighs> you know, they're quietly playing in the corner. Then they're screaming out loud, whatever. Children live in the moment. We are born that way to live in the feeling of our thinking moment to moment. What happens to us as adults, though, is we have some habitual patterns of thought that we've developed that look real and true to us and that we kind of replay. So rather than us living in the present moment to moment, experiencing, oh, happy, mm. oh, joyful, oh, <laughs> sad <laughs> we are we get stuck into a loop of that thinking that keeps repeating and if you don't know what's going on then we can spend time in those loops for hours or days or weeks 
and we kind of in the mood of being down or in the mood of being frustrated or in the mood of being upset or whatever. But the good news is as soon as thought changes, the feeling changes. Yeah. And we also have access to these deeper feelings like resilience, like creativity, like ease, grace, peace of mind, like common sense. Then when we wake up to those, we get this deeper feeling of okayness. It's like, it's not a roller coaster of highs and lows, but rather just a, ah, I'm home. Yeah. I'm okay. And we settle back into that quietude and stillness. And that's what I really want my colleagues to recognize and to be able to access. Beautiful. Now, the thing, I suppose, the invitation, Joe, here is always to start to experiment mm. that this is what they have inside the real time response of intelligence that they have as a human being yes. already built in part of their divine architecture to use all sorts of different words. <laughs> this already is alive and exists within every single human. Yeah. Now, if we think metaphorically of a cloudy day, when we wake up in the morning and it's a cloudy day, we see the clouds, we don't see the sun. Well, this is a little bit like our innate capacities. A lot of times when we have overwhelming thinking or frustrated thinking or stressed thinking, it's like a cloudy day. We can't see those beautiful natural resources and capacities and intelligences because we're spinning our thinking very fast. Yeah. And so the world looks a little cloudy, but the sun doesn't go away. It's always there. I just come back from Ireland. So I've just flown in a plane and we've all done that. <laughs> Maybe not very recently, but you know, you move beyond the clouds, you move up through your 35,000 feet or 32,000 feet or whatever. And suddenly you're in blue sky. Yeah. Now that is who we are at core. And sometimes the cloudy day of our thinking obliterates the sun, but it doesn't mean the sun is not there. It just means in this moment, we just don't see our sun. <laughs> yeah. We don't see the truth of who we are. We don't see our okayness. We don't see our resilience and our clarity and creativity, but it hasn't gone anywhere. So there's good news. There's great news for everybody, your colleagues in the NHS. It's just knowing that who we are is truly that. Yeah. And, and to be reminded sometimes by having conversations with people who have that understanding, I think. I think it's that. I think it's also sometimes just seeing for ourselves in some moments in life when it was, and maybe your colleagues could do this even as they're driving or listening to the podcast, is taking themselves back to a time that was particularly challenging. And then for no reason, something that showed up that solved that challenging situation, or they felt peaceful in the midst of a crisis. Yeah. Or 
they found love in the midst of a challenging maybe relationship. They just, there was a moment where everything was okay. Everything is okay. Now, if you've ever experienced that in your life, that is what we're pointing to. But probably opening up the door a little more to say, and this is available for you all of the time. Yeah. This space, this experience, this peace of mind or ease or creative idea or decision taking or solving this problem or having new insight about something that you're stuck with that is always available always on your side it's just waiting for you to touch off that space for yourself that is such a hopeful and reassuring message really is i love the hope in this conversation joe me too because so many people find themselves without hope. Yeah. And I know the movie was called Lost in Translation, but I'm re- reclaiming the movie title to be Lost in Thought. Yeah. When we get so lost in thought down the rabbit hole of our own thinking, it becomes a downward spiral. Yeah. And if it seems very hard to back up or find that beautiful space of quiet and okayness but there's also good news there too which is it's only an awareness away it's only one thought away yeah and all we need to do is relax ourselves be aware oh okay my thinking is just going way too fast not helpful and that space of recognizing that your thinking is going too fast we come back to the present moment and to all of those intelligences and resources we talked about. Yeah. Because our default nature is that. If only we could remember it. Yes, exactly. Oh, and sometimes me too. <laughs> no perfection, just human, humaning. Yeah. V, thank you so much. This has been a lovely conversation that I've really appreciated. Oh, Joe, I've loved being here with you. And thank you for so such beautiful questions and for really wanting to share this gift with your colleagues. I think that is such a beautiful intention. I applaud you for it. And um, thank you, Fee. <laughs>